Amen. Can we just say thank you to all of our kids and youth and nursery workers for making it available? All right. Amen. Just to give you a little bit of vision, first of all, my name is Chad, and I'm um, honored to be one of the leaders here in the spiritual family. And it's an honor to stand week after week with the Bible open, our hearts open, and the, hopefully the Holy Spirit moving as our real teacher. How many love 1 John 2.20 that the anointing is the teacher, that the spirit of truth reveals truth to us, amen? And so, Lord, we just welcome the Holy Spirit to come upon us as we open our hearts to your word, to the movement of your spirit in Jesus' name. So really quick for some vision. Number one, our primary objective for the month of February is to keep building out our altar. Uh, that's always happening. And the number two, that by the end of February, you will have to have chosen not to have been in some sort of kingdom community. So that's your fault. That's right. I said it from the pulpit. We want to make it so easy in, in, in forming these groups where we just open the Bible, we pray for each other, we do life together in the kingdom of God. So February, we're really focused. Week in and week out. All of our talks are going to be geared towards that. And we want to get into these communities because March is going to be mobilized for mission. Everyone say mobilized for mission. We believe the best way to participate with what God wants to do in the world is by participating in a countercultural community called the church so that we have something tangible and real and alternative to offer the world to experience in the kingdom of God. So that's kind of where we're heading. And as I said before, uh, right at the turn of the year, we're going to continue to dial in and uh, through online content and the like to, to, uh, to establish these, these pillars of theological truth. Um, through various teachers in our church community, we're going we're gonna to continue to roll out things of content that equip you for life in the kingdom of God. All in favor, say amen. Amen. So if you've been with us, last two weeks ago, we talked about God's gift to us in kingdom community as a safeguard from the corruption of culture. How many know there, there really is no neutral territory on the planet? We are in a war. There is an enemy who comes to still kill and destroy. And there's a God who just wants to give us life through his son if we'll receive it and respond to it. Amen. And that right in the middle of that battle, there's a community that God calls us to participate in called the church that's meant to serve as a safeguard by our practices, our priorities and our purposes that they form us in a countercultural way so that we're not more, I love it like this, the easiest way to say it, that we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. Come on, how many know the difference? A thermometer, what does it do? It rises and falls depending upon its surroundings, but a thermostat sets the temperature. Come on, somebody say amen. And so that's why God gave us the gift of community. It is a lie of the devil that says community beyond pulpit and pew is just for the super spiritual baloney. You need people in your life, two, three, five, six, twelve, doesn't matter, honestly, more than yourself to journey with Jesus so that you are formed in an alternative way called the way of King Jesus. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at how it usually takes adversity, bummer, but it's true, to catapult us and awaken us to God's purposes. 
And we looked at how the mission of God was amazing in Jerusalem, but God used persecution to catapult the church to get to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. This week, I want to look at a few more principles from the book of Acts as we think about forming these kingdom communities and arguably what Bible people think is one of the greatest revivals, certainly in the Bible, maybe of all time, in Acts chapter 19. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at the revival at Ephesus and then we, by the Spirit, we're going to pull out some principles. And I hope we're just so stirred up with hunger to jump into this kind of community. So where was Ephesus? What's going on at this point in the, the, the book of Acts, the unfolding? Ephesus was, it was a strategic, commercial, political, and religious center of Asia Minor. One of the, one of the fourth greatest cities in the Roman Empire. It was home to one of the great seven wonders of the world, the temple to Diana for the Romans or to Artemis. It was called the light of Asia because of its tolerance and its enlightenment. It was a center for, uh, for, for commerce. Many of the Caesars used to keep their own treasures in the temple Artemis. And so it's this, this cultural uh, elite city that's influencing regions and really that's like propagating, continue to propagate Roman culture out into the known world. So it's an important city. How many agree it's an important city? And so what a perfect place to plant a gospel community. How many are so thankful that the gospel is not just for some off the beaten path select few, that God wants the gospel to transform cities and regions and cultures for his glory. It was the center for entertainment. If you got off, it was a, it was a port city. So a lot of sailors and a lot of, lot of uh, sailors and a lot of soldiers, which drew a large and a large population of, of, of prostitution. And this, so you gotta get the moral climate of the city. It wasn't like the Bible Belt. Are you tracking with me? This is, a, this is a cutting edge city that is full of idols, full of immorality, full of wealth, full of religious elite and educated in all intents and purposes. It was a place that on the surface looked like it's doing just fine. It's, it's, it's sowing into its wild oats and it has whatever you want to please your flesh. It has on tap on every side of the street. And it's in a place like this, God says, I want this place to become a missionary base that impacts the entire region. Come on, somebody. How many believe that however dark the dark gets, there is a community that's called to steward and then to spread the light of Jesus Christ? He's not afraid of the darkness. He's not afraid of the sinfulness or the, 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 uh, the debauchery of culture. Jesus Christ is the savior of sinners and of the world. It was also a commerce that they were into spirituality. So, that, so the occult and, and, and witchcraft and spiritualism, it kind of sounds like our culture. I mean, I don't know. Ephesus is kind of like where we live. And so let's get into the passage now that we have a basic framework for the kind of community the gospel enters. How many, how, many, how many know the gospel never enters into a vacuum? It always ent- enters into preoccupied space. So it says this in Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. 
There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Just really quick, this is decades after John the Baptist ministered. That's how powerful his message in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, Somehow there were disciples who, who, who heard his message and now they're all the way over, way over in Asia Minor in Ephesus and they're devoted to spiritual things but they're living in the revelation that they know but they've not yet been born again. They've not received and responded to the one who's coming after John. And so he, he preaches the gospel to them. He's like, you guys don't understand. You stop short. And so he, in, he instructs them in the full gospel. And so they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many believe there's many, many in the church, maybe in our midst, that they have a measure of truth, but they've not been brought into the kingdom yet? All right, man, we're going to get there today. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in awe. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that, say it with me, help me, all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, this, it's so special what happens here. So let's unpack this very briefly. First of all, when God wants to establish a work in a region, in a city, hello, in a family, in a workplace, in a neighborhood, or through a relational network, guess who he does his establishing through? People. Turn to your neighbor and say, when God wants to do something in the world you occupy, he chooses a people to participate in what he wants to do amongst the people that they're influencing. And so it's so significant when Paul rolls up to the infamous all-important city of Ephesus, first thing he do does is he finds some peeps. Come on. He finds some people. And the brilliant thing, the first thing he does is he realizes that everyone's a, everyone is, is, there's no one who's not spiritual. There's no one who's not a worshiper, who's not interested in things of ultimate significance and importance. So he finds the spiritual seekers and he brings them into salvation. How many believe before the God wants to do a work through us, he wants to do a work in us? Oh, that's good. And so, so Paul, his big strategy, I love how brilliant it is to impact a region is to start small. Boom. Why are you going to be promoting kingdom communities all February? Because we believe before God wants to do a great work around us, he wants to do a great work in us and among us so that we have something that's actually compelling to offer the world as an alternative. It's good. And so God, his first thing he does through his apostle is he establishes his governmental kingdom authority through 12 men. 
this small band of disciples would become the seedbed community that scholars uh, sort of clearly believe that from this little community, all the seven churches of Revelation are born and planted. The word goes out, not through a uh, not through a huge majority, but through a yielded, devoted minority. And it's here in Ephesus that God would establish a new missionary center for, to launch from. And it's so significant because all of us, we're addicted, I'm addicted to, we love the quick, the overnight, the, the flashy, the gimmicky, any, the, the cheap substitute for the real thing. But when God wants to do a work, he's not, so, he's not so concerned or interested with how many initially get in. He just wants those who get in to be all the way in so we can go all the way in and all the way through them. And in Ephesus, here's how it worked. All public activity would stop around 11 o'clock. It's kind of a cool schedule. I think we should adopt some Mediterranean schedules. They would work hard in the morning, but during the heat of the day, one scholar says this, more people would be asleep at 1 p.m. than at 1 a.m. Someone say amen. So Paul, because he was a businessman and a preacher, he would work and make tents and, and participate in his trade until about 11. And while everyone else would, you know, stop by the prostitute house on the way home or go home and take a nap and chill, he would adjust, he would take off his tent making gear, he would go into the hall of Tyrannus and he'd just begin to teach and discuss about the kingdom of God. Amazing man. And it's from this small band of devoted that God later on, one commentator says this, that Epiphras would, 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 would evangelize the cities of La, La, the, the Lycus Valley, of Colossae, Laodicea, and, and Hierapolis, the cities which Paul never visited technically in person. All seven churches of Asia that John addresses in Revelation would be founded around this time. The province all around Ephesus would be intensely evangelized and this city would remain a leading center of Christianity for hundreds of years. And everyone wants to know, what's the secret sauce? Did they have a huge majority, a sweet website and a massive church? 12 dudes filled with the Holy Spirit who would refuse to change the dial. The king in his kingdom, 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 the way of Jesus, the king in his kingdom, the king in his kingdom. They were so formed and yielded to the work of God in them that God in turn, there was nothing he could not do through them. Daily discussing the kingdom of God. If you're with us at the altar Wednesday night, Rick taught, he, he, he provoked us to, to just start that text, that text message thread with you and a handful of buddies. Like what, were you just not, it's okay to talk about other things, but like, like find that group, that one or two or three or four, where you just begin to have those daily discussions. This is what the Lord showed me in the word today. This is what the Spirit's saying in my heart. This is what in prayer when I woke up early or when I was awoken early because one of my kids came in and was complaining about a helicopter. That may have happened this morning or not. I'm not sure. But start that, that practice where it's a daily practice where we're just beginning to talk about the King and His kingdom and His word. And this small band of Spirit-filled men would transform an entire region. Not through any outward Twitter, Instagram, but by being so formed and transformed that there was nothing God could not do in and through them. 
I love that, that, that he was daily discussing the kingdom of God. See, the reality is most of us have settled for a truncated or an anemic version of the gospel. By that, I mean this. Many of us, we, we, we think that, that God's primary desire is for us to pray a prayer with no one looking around so that there's no encouragement and no accountability, except for the preacher who can see you raise a hand. You pray a prayer so that you can go to heaven someday and you just grin and bear it and grit your teeth and try not to sin so bad and give a little money to the church. That's awesome. So that someday you'll get to go to heaven. How many believe that is a... That is a that is it's true that there is a glorious future for every person who repents and believes in Jesus. We all agree and say amen. But he wants to transform your life here and now and then usher you in to his kingdom mission, which is for the world to be sought after and to be saved through the same gospel that saved you. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And many of us think Jesus is only interested in our sin what a tragedy. He's interested in the entirety of your life. He wants your whole life to be filled with his presence and yielded over to his purpose. The way I describe the kingdom of God is this. I've read, I love books about the kingdom. It's maybe one of the most significant themes in all of the Bible. Uh, one, one theologian said that, that, that everything Jesus did, thought, taught, or worked was in some way related to the kingdom of God. And so here's how I describe what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? It's God's empowering presence, filling, forming, and then flowing. How many love the Fs? I love the Fs. I don't know how it translates in Espanol, but I love my alliterations. You love me for it. I know you do. Let's just read it on the screen together. God's empowering presence, filling, forming, and then flowing through God's people in every place, they practice and proclaim the way of the king. There's five elements there. You got to have the king's presence, amen, or there ain't no kingdom. Amen. What does his presence do? It fills, forms, and flows through God's people. You got to have a people. Every king has a people that he rules, amen. And then that king has to have a domain or a realm, and so it's every place there's God's people, amen. Where's his kingdom? Where the people of God are yielded and being formed and flowing. And I love this. The king also has a law and a purpose in his kingdom. And for us, it's to both practice his way and proclaim his way. So screenshot that. I love that definition. And all the stuff I've read, I mean, there's other guys, wit guys and gals. But that's all these years. I've, that's the sentence I keep rewriting. And it's God's empowering presence. What is the kingdom and where is it and how do I know? It's his presence filling, forming, and flowing through God's people. In every place they practice and proclaim the way of the king. So how many think that the kingdom of God has implications for one part of my life or all of my life? That was an easy one. And so it's for two years. Paul is not saying, I mean, how boring would that be? I mean, I think it'd be boring. Maybe you don't, so forgive me. Hey, guys, the gospel's all about you praying a prayer so someday you can go to heaven. What would you talk about after you, that glorious truth, what would you talk about for the other one year and 364 days? 
But if it's about, yes, the gospel of salvation, but if it's about the kingdom of God, God's reign and rule, his government and authority being established in his people in every place that they're practicing and proclaiming the way of their king, then how many believe life gets a lot more exciting? If I get to participate in an all of life vision from God, that means all of life is now an open door invitation to not just do my own thing, but to partner with him and his thing, because his thing and things are the only things that will last forever. So for two years, they're talking about the kingdom of God. Discussions. And I love that it's a discussion. That's why we want everyone in a group in a kingdom community where we're discussing the scriptures. How is it transforming us? What does it mean for everyday life? What does it mean for our family members? For What does it mean for how we allocate time and treasure and talent? What does it mean for my, my, my value and my purpose and the significance that I crave in my heart, but it feels like it's like sand slipping through my hands. Like We discuss what it means to live in God's kingdom together. Everything is on the table when it's about the kingdom of God how we view our families and our friendships through the kingdom of God, how we view our neighborhoods and our relational networks through the kingdom of God, how do we view our workplace and our world through the lens of the kingdom, how do I view my time and my treasure and my talent through the lens of the kingdom, how do I derive my sense of meaning, purpose, belonging, vision through the lens of the kingdom? Do you guys think that the kingdom of God is important for us to understand and not just with our heads but to participate wholeheartedly? with our hands and our lives. This is what Paul is doing for two years with a, just a few people. The kingdom of two years, two years. Guys, this is what it means. Oh, Christ, yep, he wants to even, he want, yep, he wants to transform your work life. He wants to transform your friendship. He wants to transform how you use your talents. He wants to transform your, yeah, that dream you have. Yeah, now let's, let's dream that through the lens of the kingdom. How is it furthering God's purposes and plans? How many know somebody that when they woke up that God is the king of the only everlasting kingdom, that their life was transformed? How I teach, if I'm a school teacher, it's different through the lens of the kingdom. How I parent, it's different through the lens of the kingdom. God wants our whole life to become that tapestry that he can paint his glorious piece of art. That's the kingdom of God. So what happens after, you know, the word, and that's not a bad day, when through 12, a few, and no doubt more were added, as more came into the kingdom of God. But what did it say there in verse 10 again? It says that through this small, little, yielded, devoted, spirit-filled, focused on the king and his kingdom, what happened in verse 10? It says that the word spread throughout the entire province of Asia. Through a small group caught up in God's kingdom plans and purposes. The word of God touches an entire region. Do you think that God wants the word to be the exception to the rule or do you think it wants it to be a doorway of invitation? Hey, if I did it then, I can do it again. How many believe that a small group of fully devoted, committed, yielded, yes, broken, in need of grace and mercy, but how many believe God can do anything through a yielded few if they're yielded to the king of the everlasting kingdom? So out of this, look, it just, you know, as like a, 
a side note, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now help me out. Aren't all miracles extraordinary? Okay, anyway. Extraordinary miracles so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the context for God to do his deep and weighty work inside of us is in the context of a community devoted to the king and his kingdom. How many know we can fool ourselves when we're lone rangers about our own spirituality and piety, but if I then have a mirror, a good, well, sometimes a good mirror, called Christian community, where my warts and my wrinkles, come on, somebody, anybody else, and my own rough edges, I need to see that in the context of doing life with other people so that I can go further into the grace of God. I can fool myself by how many podcasts I can listen to, how many passages I can quote, how many talents I have about how godly I am until you put me on the field of real life with real people. And I'm like, oh boy, I need more grace. And by the way, so do you. Amen. That's the great thing that Christian community and kingdom community gives us. We can regularly encourage each other and say, is that attitude, is that action, are those appetites, are those things that you're giving your life to, are they in sync with the king and his kingdom? If not, brother, sister, let's get back in. That's what we call repentance. Let's get back into agreement, get back into alignment so that the, the grace of God can continue to flow and funnel through our lives. So that eventually, because God can do such a deep work in us, he can do any extraordinary thing through us because the real battle is for the heart. If he gets our hearts, friends, he can do anything through us. Woo! Not a bad day. So that's Ephesus. It's pretty awesome. A few. How many? A few. Just a few seekers who experience full salvation and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then they just get committed and devoted. They realize, man, yes, our city, our culture is dark. Yes, it, the, gosh, I mean, on the way to this little house gather, this hall of Tyrannus, no doubt, I'm passing any number of idols and, 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 and temples and foreign gods and I'm just, I mean, but in the midst of that culture, he forms a counter kingdom community that's not supposed to be just like reserved for the select few, but that, that community serves like, like leaven to then transform the culture it's embedded in. How many believe right now that God wants to transform your world by his grace? Now here's what happens. Anytime God starts working, the enemy likes to work too. Anyone ever bore witness to that? <laughs> when God does something genuinely, there's usually a counterfeit that rises so that the enemy tries to steal, stall, or stop the work of God. Come on, who's ever experienced that? So we go on in verse 13. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and they tried, that's the key word, they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. Look at this, this is awesome, kinda. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
Oh, man, you guys laugh now, but here comes the heaviness in a minute here. I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. But one day, not a good day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, seven against one. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I know we giggled, but how many of us, the Jesus in the name of my favorite YouTube preacher or podcast, come on, the Jesus in the name of my favorite worship band, Bethel or Hillsong or whatever you like, or Elevation, or Jade Molina. Come on. Shout out to the new, new songs we're writing. Come on, give it up for Jade. She's awesome. So exciting. God's doing worship stuff amongst us. Listen, the, almost the entire Christian enterprise, like Christianity, I mean like the industry, is usually through the name of someone else. And I'm telling you, we're entering a day where if you don't know Jesus intimately and personally, you're not going to get by at the Jesus that someone else knows when he's a Jesus that you can know. Come on, somebody say amen. And the demons are like, Jesus, I know when a demon answers you like this, it's a bad day. I know Jesus. Listen, James 2 says that the demons are monotheists. They know there's only one God. They know. Paul, I know. I love it. I know Jesus intimately, and I know about Paul. He's just screwing up all of our plans here in Ephesus. People are getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. They're getting formed in the way of the kingdom. It's a counter kingdom to our kingdom of darkness. But he's like, to you people who are just trying to claim someone else that someone else knows... How many know if you don't know him, you do not have authority over the kingdom of darkness? When a few get on fire, it puts the rest of us on notice. Because of this band of belief for two years, they're, they're sold out. They're talking about the kingdom. They're filled with the spirit. Miracles are happening. And there's just, it creates a buzz. But the, these Jewish sons of this, high, this chief priest, they think, oh, Jesus' name has power. It's kind of like the Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 who wants to buy the anointing, and that doesn't go well for him. Just go read chapter 8. And I want you to know there's no shortcut and there's no substitute in this room or those online. You don't have to say in the name of Jesus whom whoever preaches or sings or prophesies. You can say the Jesus that I know because he saved my life. You can actually know him. Hallelujah. You don't have to live vicariously through some other passionate, wise scholar or, or teacher. You can become, even this morning, a son or daughter of God, adopted by the Father through the Holy Spirit, as you put your whole heart and trust in Jesus Christ. And I love it. This scares everybody. This scares everybody. When they hear that one demonized man gave seven boys a beating because they, were, they weren't genuine in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And I'm telling you, there's coming a day when all of us, when the fire hits us, when life's difficulties or suffering, persecution, pushback, setbacks, whatever it is, 
In that moment, you're not going to be able to rely or lean on anyone. Either you know him today or you don't. And the glory of the gospel is that today is the day of salvation. Second Corinthians chapter six. God's releasing his grace right now. It's always his will, 2 Peter 3, 9, that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance and faith. In the one man, Acts 4, 12, his name alone that can save Jesus Christ. So if you're trying to do ministry for God, but you have not yet received life from God, you're in trouble. But today... Unlike these seven sons of Sceva, you can actually know the one that you're talking about. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he said, Jesus said it will enter the kingdom of heaven. I remember this, this verse, he says, I, I was a young man, young boy. This verse always just kind of, they claim to know me, but they don't do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Prophesy your name, drive out, and they'll say, verse 23, read it with me. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And here's what I love in 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But whoever loves God is known by God. How many believe that the highest aim in the kingdom of God is to be a lover of God? Oh, my goodness. And so you can do all the ministry, all the prophesying, pray for the sick. You can, you can be missional and hand out tracts and all this. But God's like, if you don't love me, what's it for? Just go read 1 Corinthians 13. So God does something through a select few. The word spreads through an entire region. The enemy tries, you know, I, maybe I would even say God right here in that moment of what's happening in Ephesus is like, lest you think you're just cruising on someone else's anointing. I'm here to tell you, you're in a real fight. You're going to re need real power. And that real power only comes from a real relationship with the God of power. And so it's like God gives a sober warning. And look what it says in the Bible in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, verse 18, 17, uh, Acts 19, they were all, I know he's getting it on the screen there. They were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord, say it with me, was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and they openly confessed what they had done. Oh, the fear, look at this, next few slides, Justin. The fear of the Lord releases the fresh awareness, say it with me, of his awesomeness and his otherness. Whoa, he's holy, he's amazing. I actually should not just go claiming that I know him if I don't. Not only is he awesome in holiness and glory, but he's also other, he's perfectly pure. So he's awesome and he's other. And the glory of the gospel is that the awesomeness and otherness, us in our own pedigree, in our own works, in our own... Try, dip, you know, trying and strength, we could never get to a place of being accepted by an awesome and a fully holy other God. God in Christ has come to us in our sin and he's made us recipients of the awesomeness and otherness. He brought us to God. We didn't get to God. Are you tracking with me? And so what happens is when these sons of Sceva are beat up one against seven, the fear of the Lord falls on the region. And many of us, when we think of fear, we're like, isn't God a God of love? And yeah, yes, hello, yeah. He is holy love. He's holy 
and he's love. The fear of the Lord, say it with me, the fear of the Lord is our friend. One more time, the fear of the Lord is our friend. Living in the fear of the Lord is to live with the right view of who God is and who I am becoming in his love. Living in the fear of the Lord is living with a growing awareness that all of life matters because God is always in our midst. The fear of the Lord is the doorway into a life well lived. It's called the life of wisdom. And when we take things trivially and we just think, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. I am, I am not against that shirt. It's a cool shirt. He is our friend. He's our best friend. He's also holy and awesome and other. And when God releases the revelation of the fear of the Lord, it's a doorway in, not a doorway shut. Oh, I didn't have that in the notes. That's really good. When he releases the fear of the Lord, it's not that he shuts the door on us. Amen. He actually opens a deeper door to experience and explore more depths of who he is. But you've got to go through the door, which is to say through the biblical revelation. We don't make God like the golden calf in our image. He is the image. He is holy and righteous and just and good. We're made in his image, not the other way around. Amen. And so that's what the fear of the Lord does. It restores the proper vision and then it calls us to realign and reorient our lives around who he actually is. Does that make sense? I know that's heavy, but it's good, it's glorious. And so what happens is when the fear of the Lord hits the region because of the Sceva incident, it says now many of them just came and they started confessing, hey, there's things in my life because God's weighty presence and glory is just revealed that do not belong there. Come on, somebody. What if that happened to even just our little church in the church? What if when God released his weighty presence, his, pre his presence was magnified, and when he comes, the things on earth grow strangely dim, and anything that we don't see in him becomes despicable to us? How many know you're probably not done with your habit of sin at least, at least until you begin to hate that sin more then you love doing it and the further away it draws. How many believe God doesn't want us to be indifferent to the things that break his heart? He wants us to partner with his zeal to say anything that hinders his love, I don't want it in my life. That's the fear of the Lord. Corporate repentance brings corporate renewal. And I wonder in this room, how many of us are stuck in cycles of sin or habits that just continually destroy our confidence of who we are in Christ. Let's just pause, don't, I don't need amens. I mean, that's fine if you wanna give one. And I'm here to tell you the personal private faith that many of us inherited because of our individual culture has killed so many of our faith. Many of you in this room and those watching online, just at a sheer statistical level, are struggling with hidden secret sin. And you think it's just me and Jesus, my personal private, and you never experience the breakthrough that is yours by virtue of being adopted as a king, kid of the king. But because it's, your, your battle is staying in the personal private, you're not experiencing the grace of God that he releases through a community that's also broken and in need of the grace of the Father and the Son. Personal private faith has killed the personal private faith of those who have personal private faith. 
Because we need each other. Did you know that I need you for the battles that I face? There's things I face alone. Yes, say yes. But there's areas that we will never experience the breakthrough in unless we bring others on the journey with us. James chapter 5 says this, Is any one of you trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins alone in your room, privately. Wait, hold on. Sorry, 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 sorry. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this is just irrevocable. There is a revival kingdom principle whenever God transforms people, cities, regions, nations, etc. It always at least includes some measure of corporate repentance. Where I just, you know what? And I want you to know, here's what the devil says. If you bring that thing you struggle with into the open, you'll be condemned. Am I talking to anybody in the room? But the problem of fighting battles that you perpetually don't have victory in is those battles become deeper holes, deeper holes, deeper holes until you just give up all hope altogether. I want you to know there is not a hole that you can dig for yourself that God's grace cannot lift you out of. There's not an insidious habit, a sin, a lust. There's nothing in your life that God's grace and the, the grace that he gives through his community that you cannot experience breakthrough, not just once, but increasing more and more and more. Come on, someone say amen for the power of the gospel and the gospel-shaped community. And I wanna say this as your friend and as your brother in Jesus, you don't have to hide in your sin anymore. If we do anything this February, when we get into these communities, and I know that trust has to be earned and you don't go wave your dirty laundry, don't be silly, but I want you to know if you're suffering in silence by a secret sin, come out of the darkness, talk to me. Talk to somebody, grab somebody who loves the Lord and say, hey, do you got a minute or 10 or five or an hour? I wanna bring you into my journey. And I want to say today that when God wants to do something in public, he first does something in our midst privately so that those things that we perpetually, they silence our confidence, they destroy our courage, they keep us all discouraged and sort of like, you know, God, I'm just, you know, like an Eeyore, just always sad. And, you know, um, I want you to know that God actually can touch us in that place. But we've got to come into the light together. And here's the promise. When we confess our sin, shame loses its hold. And instead of the condemnation that the enemy wants us to think is coming, it actually releases a wave of refreshment and rejoicing. Come on, who's ever experienced bringing something you're facing into the light with a brother or sister? Were you met with condemnation or with rejoicing? Because now you weren't alone anymore. If one can put a thousand to flight, how many can two? Or three, it's a, that's a passage, 10,000, right? Together. And here, you know what? Even if you are condemned by someone who's being a Pharisee, the lower you go in the eyes of men and of God, the higher he can take you in divine love. <laughs> so even if you are, I'm sorry, because some may like, whoa, I didn't, let's just be like 
Sunday Christians. Don't really bring me into your life. Even if that does happen to you, the lower you go in the eyes of men and of God, the higher he can take you up in his divine love. So it's a win-win. Everyone say it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Does it mean it's easy? No. But is it worth it? Yes. Because you were not meant to live in the shadows. You were meant to live in the light. Are we doing okay? The fear of the Lord is our friend. Corey Russell says it like this. It's the, the fear of the Lord is the living awareness of God. The fear of the Lord knows that what we do in secret is as important as what we do in public. The fear of the Lord removes hypocrisy as it brings, us, brings with it a deep conviction that everything matters. There is no waste of time, energy, finance, or resource. Everything is sacred. Everything is noticed by God. Everything can move God and provoke a response from him. When we live in the fear of the Lord, we refuse to live compartmentalized Christian lives. This is my religious thing. This is my work life. This is my recreational life. This is what I do when everyone's asleep. When we say yes to God's presence in his kingdom, we open every door of our life to his healing, empowering presence. I wish, can you say amen? At least to understanding the principle of when the fear of the Lord comes, it's our friend. Read this with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Come on. It increased in numbers. How many would say today, Chatty, I think I suffer from too low a view of who God really is. This is A.W. Tozer's infamous book, right? This is his big billion dollar quote. We suffer from a low view of God and therefore of the things of God. And so we settle for cheap substitutes. But the Lord wants us to put our cheap substitutes aside and he wants to get us into the realm of feasting in the substance of who he is and what he's doing in our world. Living in the fear of the Lord, I'm just gonna skip a bunch here and we're gonna land the plane. It's that living in the fear of the Lord safeguard. Uh, it should be about five or six slides forward, Justin. Living in the fear of the Lord is a safeguard against, say it with me, apathy. The definition of apathy is just a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. How many all, okay, thank you. So when I don't have a living awareness of God's presence and that all of my life matters, again, all of this is tied back to verse seven, eight, nine, and 10. Because they were talking about the kingdom of God. What did we already establish? The kingdom encompasses everything in your life. Amen? So the fear of the Lord is like the kingdom of God and then the fear of the Lord is the understanding that he's with us. It's an awareness. It's his lordship. He has something. I, man, I, on my prayer runs, I say this almost every prayer run. Lord, let your lordship mean something for my life today. Does that make sense? Let it be so that I'm living under your beautiful lordship and leadership that it actually impacts something in my life that's different than those who do not claim your lordship. But the first thing that the living, living with the fear of the Lord does is it safeguards against apathy. How many would say, Chatty, I struggle with apathy, a lack of interest in God, the Bible, the spirit, every hand should be raised. On occasion, we struggle with apathy, at least, or enthusiasm or concern. It's the fear of the Lord, the, 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 the reawakening that he's, he's here. He's real. 
What else does the fear of the Lord safeguard against us? Accommodation. What is accommodation? Adapting or adjusting to something or someone. So you see what happens. Here's how the devil works. First, I'm apathetic. I just don't care. Anybody been there? I don't have a passion for God's stuff and the word. And when is he done preaching? He always preaches way too long. Well, I'll just come when I feel like it. Come on, it's apathy. Here's what happens if you stay in apathy too long. You begin to accommodate. What's that mean? You begin to adjust to something or someone, and in this case, other than God. So you accommodate to culture. You accommodate to the lust of the flesh. Apathy gives way to accommodation. And then what happens? Assimilation. The process of becoming similar to something. So now, apathy, you begin to accommodate habits and practices and you know, because I'm just, I don't care about God, really. I'm indifferent. I'm bored with him. The Bible's boring. It's impossible to read. Then I begin to accommodate, and then I begin to assimilate so that eventually there's no discrepancy between those who claim to know Jesus, like the sons of Schema, and those who do know Jesus. Hello, anyone suffer from that one? Okay, my hand's raised. And ultimately, if we're not careful, it leads to the last A, which is apostasy. We just abandon the faith altogether. Apathy, accommodation, assimilation, and apostasy. And by the way, what's the remedy for all four? When God reveals his weighty presence to the church again. I'm with you, church. My presence is here. My power, it's readily available. If you'll just say yes, and you say yes, a deeper yes to living all of life in light of my kingdom and my purposes and so are we, are we, I really, I'm going to end here, but are we understanding for the importance of the fear of the Lord being restored to the church in this hour? We are very good at fearing a billion other things, but Jesus said in Matthew 10, let me show you the one you should fear, right? The one who knows the numbers of hair on your head and has the power of your soul for eternity. Don't fear the enemy. Don't fear this. Don't fear that. Don't fear that. Don't fear that. Fear the only one worthy of the full weight of your affection, allegiance, and all of your appetites. If you fear him, you'll enter into a life where wisdom and the ways of God, the counsel of God, become available to you for all of your life. This is the fear of the Lord. And then I'll end here. A number of those, because the fear of the Lord has just gripped the church. It's beautiful who practiced sorcery, brought their skulls together, and they burned them publicly. Oh, what a bonfire. That would have been cool. When they calculated the value of scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, millions of dollars. In, look at, read verse 20 with me. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That's it. That's the stuff. When we say a deeper yes to his ways and his will, he increases two things. I have a slide for it. He increases our capacity to receive. Everyone say receive. His power. I'll just, let's just read this. It's a good summary and then we're done. When we say a deeper yes to his ways and his will. Undoubtedly, he increases our capacity to both receive his presence, power, provision, 
and release that to those around us. Receive. Listen, I can't give anything away unless I receive it first. Come on, Matthew 10, verse 8 is every believer's business card. Freely we receive, freely we give. Say it with me. Freely we receive, freely we give. But the deeper the yes, we say no to the scrolls in our closet. No to the former bridges that we left kind of standing to our old way of life. Here's how I view it. Many of us enter the door of the kingdom, but we just hang out in the lobby. Close enough to our old way of life but not all the way into experiencing the full abundant life Christ died to give us. How many want to leave the lobby and at least get into the dining room or out into the backyard, 20 acres, beautifully, come on somebody, freshly mowed, the cool lines, trees are manicured. Many of us, if we're honest, we've got scrolls in our closet We've got little bridges, little doors still open to our past. We want enough Jesus to get us into heaven someday, but not enough to say yes, that he wants to fill us with heaven now to release his kingdom to those around us. It's time to leave the lobby, to burn the bridges, call your friends, throw a bonfire and say no more to my old way of life. I want to go all the way in. I'm done living half-hearted, half in. God has more for me. How many believe, I'm going to stop there, we'll finish the rest because it gets even cooler in Ephesus. I want to just summarize. When God wants to do a work in a people, in a place, in a region, he just needs a few fully committed. Just give me thumbs up if you get the summary. Okay. Number two, what we do in that group matters we're being discipled as citizens and participants of the kingdom of God. We're being formed as countercultural agents of the kingdom, the only kingdom that will last forever, the kingdom of God that rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And then out of that small community committed to the king and his kingdom, God is then able to spread his word in and through us in ways that he couldn't before we gave him access to those deep areas of our life. When we say yes to him, he says yes to us, being those instruments that he can do his work through. Whenever God starts moving, counterfeits start springing up, sons of Sceva. This puts all of us on notice. Oh boy, do I really know Jesus or not? It gets us further in. The fear of the Lord is released. We live with the awareness of his presence and his lordship. And we double down and say, you know what? Those scrolls, that was my old life. They don't need to stay in my closet. Bonfire time, let's part ways fully with our old habits of darkness and sin so that we can go further into God's purposes and plans and so that not just our lives can be changed, but the lives of those around us can be changed. How many need to respond today? How many need to respond to his offer of salvation? How many need to respond to just being filled with his power? How many need to respond and say, you know what, Chatty, I need others in my life to help me. I'm facing battles, secrets that, I'm, that just destroy my courage and confidence, but I know that there's help in Jesus. How many today would say, Chad, you're right. I've entered the lobby, but I've not made it to the dining room table. I've not, certainly not made it out the back door of the kingdom to see the beauty that my father has for me. I'm close enough to the bridge, but not all the way in. And it's time to set a fire. 
It's time to confess. It's time to go all the way in. So if you need to receive, respond in any way of any one of those ways, can you just stand on your feet? I want to pray for you today. Salvation, being filled with the spirit, being a committed disciple to the kingdom. Saying yes to confessed confessional community. Or maybe today you're saying, Chatty, there's scrolls in my closet and I want them gone. I, I don't want to face what I'm facing alone. Thank you, Timothy. Go ahead and just dial that in for us. This is the word of the Lord, amen. His beautiful word. The Bible says his word is living and active. It says that his word is life. Jeremiah said his word is like a fire. Paul says when we receive his word, it's like being washed with water. The Bible says that the sword, the word is like a sword. It cuts right through our hearts. The Bible says his word is like bread. It feeds and it nourishes our weary souls. And so right now, I just want you to respond in any of those ways. Just say, come Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Maybe just confess, if, if it's sin, confess your sin to him. And just say, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna make the call. I'm gonna make the text. I'm gonna initiate. I'm gonna find someone to journey with. Maybe it's your, your commitment level, like you're in and you're out. You're, I'm kind of in. You're like, no, I want to be like those guys in the hall of Tyrannus. I want to get after the kingdom with a few others. I don't want to change the dial. I don't want to be half in. I don't want to hang out in the lobby. I want to go all the way in. The lobby's amazing. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but there's more. And some of us in this room need to just light the match and burn the bridge to our past. That's what represents the scrolls. We need to openly confess and say, God, I'm parting with my old ways. I want to go all the way into your kingdom. Just, just say, come Holy Spirit, minister your heart. Minister the love of Jesus, the healing power of Jesus in this room. Amongst us, your people. just tell him, Lord, I receive. I receive your provision. If you need forgiveness, he's got it. If you need healing, he's got it. If you need breakthrough, he's got it. If you need mercy, he's full of it. If you need love, he's an ocean of it. If you need power, his name still carries the heaviest weight of any name given to man. If you need a friend, he's a father, he's a brother. The Holy Spirit is closer than a brother. If you need a sense of belonging, he's, he's got a big old family all around the world that's growing. <laughs> Come Holy Spirit, touch our body right now. We respond, we receive your love in Jesus' mighty name. Just gonna leave this as a place of encounter. Timothy's gonna sing and play. Come on up if you want prayer. If not, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you for responding to the word today. Let's respond to Jesus over these next minute or two. If not, you're dismissed. Bless you this week. We'll see you at the altar.